0: And take your Bibles now and turn with me to Luke chapter 4. We're going to begin a journey with Jesus by way of the gospel according to Luke, and we're in the epiphany season. Uh, Epiphany, as we've said, means revelation or manifestation or appearance, so what are those ways that... Jesus is beginning his ministry and beginning to show himself in his work in the world. And so we pick up the story in chapter 4 in verse 14. Jesus has been out in the desert in 40 days of temptation. And verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues. And everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And Jesus is now about to read what Joshua Brazil just read for us from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Sisters and brothers in Christ, may God add his blessings to the reading and to the hearing of his holy word. Well, it is said that confession is good for the soul. So this morning, I want to confess something to you. It's something I have confessed to you on previous occasions. And I'm especially glad this morning that as I'm confessing it, that our organist, Karen Metz, is not here, and Jim and Elisa Gillum, our music assistant and pianist, are not here today and i really wish that michael mcknight would get up and leave (laughs) he he, he's he's made a feeble attempt mary cavanaugh thank you for playing our organ this morning you may leave too if you'd like to (laughs) right now okay here's my confession michael i bet you know where i'm going One of my biggest regrets of my entire life, it's one of the biggest mistakes I ever made, was to give up taking piano after four years. I look back on that, and it's one of the biggest regrets of my life. I wish I had not stopped. But you see, the fact is, I didn't like practicing. I didn't like doing all of the theory sheets And all of the practice that my music teacher, Mrs. Kreiner, required of me that would keep me in her good graces. And I wanted to play the music that I wanted to play. I didn't want to have to play all those classical pieces and all of those classic type pieces that she thought I should play. So I quit. One of the biggest mistakes of my life. But you know, confession is not only good for the soul, but confession often can lead to insight. And I had this insight this week because I realized that fast forward about six years, five or six years later, no, probably four or five years later, I started picking up the guitar. And I remembered this past week that I would sit in my room for hours and hours and hours and I would play and practice that guitar. And I thought, now what is the difference? I didn't want to play and practice for hours and hours of the piano. If I had, I, I might be playing at the same level as Michael McKnight today. Who knows? Probably not. He's a very gifted pianist. But I played for hours and hours and hours on the guitar. What was the difference? And and it finally hit me. The difference was that with the piano when I was in elementary school, it was primarily other taught. I had a teacher. It was other taught. And the motivation primarily came from my mother, who thought that it would be good that I learn how to read music and play a musical instrument. But when it came to the guitar, I realized that I was self-taught because, see, I could take the lessons that I learned from piano and I knew about about notes and I knew about chords and I was self-taught for the most part on the guitar and I realized that the motivation came from deep within me. It was something I wanted to do and it was something that I was self-motivated to do all by myself. That was the difference. Now, what's the takeaway as it relates to this text? Jesus loved his heavenly father. He loved his heavenly father. And so the practice of his faith was self-motivated and self-initiated. The text says in verse 16, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue As was his custom, it was a self motivated and self initiated habit and practice and discipline that was not based on what his parents wanted for him, but ultimately based on what he wanted for himself. So you see, Jesus developed these practices, he developed these habits, these disciplines, as was his custom to grow his spiritual life. How did we do it? Well, if you read all the Gospels, you know that Jesus spent a lot of time in silence and in solitude, in prayer and in in reflection on his relationship with his Heavenly Father. Jesus spent a lot of time in personal reading of the Scripture of his day, which would have been the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament. Jesus read the Scriptures in public worship that we have just read about in this text. Jesus attended the gathering of the synagogue. He knew that being a Christian was not a solo effort. It was a team sport. It's something you do with other people. Jesus knew he needed the community support of the synagogue. He knew he needed the worship of his God in community with other people. Those were the things that Jesus did that allowed him to live into the power of the Spirit. Verse 14 says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. How did he do it? Because he practiced all of those disciplines through the years that grew his life. Now notice that those practices did begin in his childhood. Give his parents some credit. Nothing wrong with parents wanting their child to play the piano and to practice. Nothing wrong with parents wanting their children to develop the practice habits of the Christian faith. So if we go back in Luke's gospel, we see early on when Jesus is just a few days old, they take him to the temple in Jerusalem. He goes there for naming purposes, for circumcision purposes, for dedication purposes. That's in Luke chapter 2. And then you go to the end of Luke chapter 2, and what happens? Now we fast forward, and Jesus is age 12. And Mary and Joseph have taken him back for a religious holiday. And as the holiday has ended, they leave. They think Jesus is with them, and he's not. So panic, they go back to Jerusalem. And the whole process takes them three days. And finally, where do they find Jesus? He's in the temple. And he's sitting there learning from the teachers of that particular day. You see, while Mary and Joseph want Jesus to grow in his faith, now Jesus wants it for himself. And that self-initiative and that self-motivation is kicking in. Now Jesus wants to play the guitar and he's willing to practice and that motivation comes deep from within. And then we see in Luke chapter 3 that Jesus submits to baptism. And the text tells us that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 4, he's still full of that Holy Spirit and he goes on an, on an extended spiritual retreat where he's tempted for 40 days and he has to work out these issues of what is God's mission and purpose for my life. And now here in the Middle part of Luke chapter 4, we have the hometown boy. He's come back home. He's come back to Nazareth. And he's been teaching in the area synagogues. And now he comes back home, and the text tells us that he stands up to read the scripture. The attendant hands him the scroll, opens it up to the prophet Isaiah, and Jesus begins to, to read out of the prophet Isaiah. The hometown boy has come back home. They've known him since the preschool years. So so we see that Jesus is incorporating these spiritual habits and practices into his life as was his custom. It's not his parents' custom any longer. It's his custom. He's doing it because he wants to. Not because Mary is making him take piano lessons. But because he loves his God because he wants to and you know I I expect that it's the same way with you and me if if we are in the habit if we're in the practice of reading scripture and thinking about it reflecting on it meditating on it if we're in the practice of spending time alone with God in silence and solitude in prayer thinking about our relationship with him if we're in the habit and practice of being with each other on a regular basis because we know we need each other we know we need to be in community with each other we know we need the worship that we share with each other it's probably if we do all of those things it's probably because we're motivated to do these practices Because we have a deep love for God. I had a deep love and desire to learn how to play the guitar. Nobody had to motivate me to play it and practice it. And if you've got a deep desire and love for your God and you want to grow in your faith, nobody will have to motivate you to read your Bible. Nobody will have to motivate you to come to worship. No one will have to motivate you to spend time alone with God in prayer. There's a major difference when you want it for yourself versus someone else wants it for you but i want you to notice another thing about this text jesus's practices were birthed out of his love for god but those practices were what enabled jesus to discover god's mission and purpose for him you see our practices often make possible our life purpose discovering what God wants us to do with our life. It, it was all of those years of spiritual practice, as was his custom, that prepares Jesus to understand God's mission and purpose for his life. And so Jesus comes back to Nazareth. He unrolls that scroll, goes to Isaiah 61. He sits down. You, you know, the, uh, the teachers of the day Taught in sitting position. I almost thought about coming in here and sitting down on a chair and giving you a sermon this morning, just to kind of be in the same accord with how Jesus would have done it. He sits down, and the text says all the eyes are on him. And he tells them today, today, right now, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And what Jesus is telling the people is that, look, I'm embracing not my mission and not my purpose. I'm embracing God's mission and God's purpose for my life. What's that purpose? Well, Jesus understood God's mission and purpose for him to preach the good news to the poor, to announce to them that God loves you, to preach the good news to those prisoners who need freedom, to preach the good news to those folks who are blind that need sight, whether they're blind physically or blind spiritually, to preach the good news that God wishes to bring release to those who are oppressed. You know, Jesus never, ever could have spoken those words or lived out those words that announce God's mission and purpose for his life if he had never developed those spiritual practices So so, so hear this carefully one more time. Our spiritual practices that are birthed out of our love to God, that's what paves the way to understand what God's purpose and mission is for my life and for our life collectively here at Oakmont. Now let me ask you a question. If I were to give you a piece of paper right now and ask you simply to write down What is God's mission and purpose for your life? What would you write down? Could you write down the answer to that question? What is God's mission and purpose for your life? It's an important question that individuals have to ask. It's an important question that churches have to ask collectively. What is God doing in our midst? What's His mission? What's His purpose? Jesus was clear on the answer because He had perfected the practice. His ear was attuned, His eyes were open to the ways that God was at work, and He understood that Isaiah 61 represented God's mission and purpose for His life, Jesus' life. You know, there's something I want to put on the screen for you. Uh, There's a book out. Craig Van Gelter is the editor. It's called The Missional Church and Denominations. And there's a quote out of that book that I want you to see. It says, It is not the church of God that has a mission in the world, but the God of mission that has a church in the world. God is on the move. And the church is always catching up with him. You know that sentence made me feel sad. God is on the move and the church is always catching up with him. It just made me wonder, why is it that we're so hard-headed, stubborn, have poor vision and bad hearing, not just currently, but throughout the history, the centuries of the church? Why is it that we always lag behind God? So severely. God is on the move. And the church is always catching up with him. Now you know who the church is. You and me. We're the church. Why is it that we are always lagging behind him? And can you put that back up one more time? There you go. Last sentence. We join his mission. A lot of us. Are praying that that God will join our mission, and we've got it backwards. The, the deal is we join His mission. Thank you for putting that on the screen. If you've ever had Henry Blackaby's uh, course entitled "Experiencing God," you, you know there's seven realities of experiencing God in your life, and two of them say. That god is always at work around us number one and number two god invites us to join him in his work that's how it works Th- this afternoon at three you're invited back to oakmont to continue the conversation that we started a couple of sundays ago with eddie hammett we had a good sunday afternoon conversation and after it was over There were a lot of people who said, you know, we just feel like we need another hour or so to finish the conversation. And so this afternoon when we come back, I'm going to be asking those who come to be thinking about this question. How will we be the church in the world beyond the building sent out by the God of mission? If it's true that the God of mission has a church in the world, then what type of church is God calling us to be? Who is he calling us to be? Because you see, it was Jesus' spiritual practice that enabled him to see the God of mission at work in the world. And it's going to be our collective spiritual practices that allows us to see what God is doing as well. There was a great Spanish cellist by the name of Pablo Casas, and Pablo Casas was famous for practicing his musical scales well into his 90s. Somebody asked him one time why he needed to practice his musical scales well into his 90s, being such an accomplished cellist that he was, and he responded by saying, because I think I'm making progress. It's not a mechanical routine, but something essential to my life. You know, Jesus knew the difference between something that was routine and something that was essential, and that's what happens when we follow his custom. We, we deem as essential, practicing the good habits of our faith that allow us to hear God, to see God at work, and to follow the call of the God of mission into the world. That's what we're going to seek to do this afternoon. And all of the things that we do in worship and our in our own personal spiritual practice, I hope, is going to prepare us to hear and to see that God of mission at work. One of the things that we do in our spiritual practices is that we sing and we worship. And so we're going to sing, Savior, like a shepherd lead us. And the words are going to be on the screen. And as we sing, I'd like to ask you to do something. I'd like for you to be in a prayerful mood as you're singing. And I'd like to ask you to be pondering prayerfully on that question what's the God of mission calling Oakmont to do and to be? What's our purpose? What's our special mission in the world?